Praise God. If you want to open up your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark, Mark's Gospel, uh, chapter 4 and verses 26 to 32. Father, as we approach your word today, we pray that you would instill in us a reverence for it, Lord God, that we are not coming to hear the opinions of man. Uh, we are not coming here uh, simply to hear oratory, but we are coming here to listen to your word, which has been established by the Holy Spirit in the Holy Scriptures. And Lord, we pray that as we dive into this passage today in Mark's Gospel, that your spirit would be active upon our hearts, that you would begin to sow the seed of the word of God into us, and that you might bring about a harvest in our lives, that we might see people in this church walking in greater levels of faith, in greater levels of joy and peace in times of difficulty, and that, Lord, this church would be a church that is known as a church that loves the gospel. We pray that you would work these things in our hearts, in your mighty name, as we hear the word today. And I also pray that, Lord, you would keep me on track. I pray that you would keep me from any foolishness or any uh, meditations of my own thinking, but keep me focused on your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark 4, 26 to 32, reads like this in the English Standard Version, which I'm using today. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Amen. A number of weeks ago, we looked together at the parable of the sower, which is found in verses 1 to 20 of this same chapter. And that parable of the sower acts as a sort of master key which unlocks these two parables that we are considering today. Though, in fact, the parable of the sower wasn't actually about a sower, was it? The focal point of that parable is not the sower, nor is it the seed, but it's the soil. The soil is the focal point of that first parable. In these few parables here, from verses 26 to 32, the focus is not on the soil any longer, but rather it is on the seed. And I will take time today to unpack both parables as best as I can, by the grace of God, but I'll be f focusing primarily on this first parable, which is found only in the Gospel of Mark. That's the parable from verses 26 to 29. It's only found in Mark's Gospel, whereas the parable of the mustard seed is also found in Matthew. This first parable, the parable of the growing seed, as it's called in most Bibles, is one that ought to bring us as Christians a great deal of encouragement. It's a comfort to us, especially those of us 
who labor in preaching the gospel, in sowing the seed of the good news about Jesus. This parable is going to be a real encouragement to us in that. I want to share a few statistics with you first to explain why it is that we need encouragement when we share the gospel. There was a recent survey by Barna Research Group in the United States, which I think is helpful for us in the UK. Though I don't know the figures and the statistics from the UK, I should imagine they're pretty comparable. But this survey in the United States of ministers and pastors found that 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month. 1,500 ministers leave the ministry for good every month in the United States. That's 18,000 ministers per year. Isn't that an incredible statistic? Another statistic was that only one in ten of those who enter into pastoral ministry actually end up retiring as a minister. Only one in ten. Indeed, for many of those leaving the ministry, the reasons may be moral failure. Sadly, moral failure is rife in the church. Many leave due to sad events in their own lives. Or burnout is another big eater of pastors, both in the States and in this country. But you know what? Discouragement is the silent killer. Discouragement is one factor that I think must play very heavily in this exodus of pastors from the ministry. Discouragement, I think, is one of the leading causes. Why is that? Well, first off, uh, another survey showed that... um, Being a pastor, being a minister or a reverend, whatever you want to call um, what we do, uh, isn't a particularly well-respected job anymore. It used to be, but but it isn't any longer. I think it ranks in the States in terms of its prominence and trustworthiness in terms of professions, just above car salesmen. So times have changed. Um, (laughs) It's not a particularly uh, salubrious role anymore. And... um, I think that ministers very often work alone. There's a lot of time spent working alone. There's hours and hours of preparation that goes into uh, prepping, studying, and praying uh, in order to preach the word to their congregation on Sundays. And perhaps they can very easily feel that, that it's making little difference. They don't always see it having an impact. And so they reason, what's the point? Maybe... I'm not being affected here. Maybe I'm just not cut out for this. I don't know if you've ever felt that before when you've been sharing the gospel with others. Perhaps you've stepped out to tell somebody about Jesus, one of your friends, a family member, and it hasn't gone too well and you've thought, gee, I don't don't know if I'll do that again. And I think that's also true not just of ministers but also of Christians sharing the gospel. Those like the five or six people we've just had up on the platform who go out and tell people about Jesus. The same sorts of temptations to discouragement are there for them too. Handing out tracts, maybe open-air preaching, sharing the gospel with passers-by, you can easily become discouraged and lose your confidence. What you're doing seems to be having very little impact. And we can find ourselves thinking, I'm not. I'm not really feeling like I'm cut out for this. I mean, how many of you have felt a sudden lack of confidence 
when faced with the prospect of having to tell somebody about your faith. Be honest. Come on. Everybody has felt that. And we can very easily feel discouraged. And this parable here is a real healing balm to all of us who felt that particular discouragement. It's a soothing and encouraging word to all of us who felt that way. And it isn't just for ministers, people like myself, or it isn't just a parable for those who consider themselves evangelists, but instead it's a parable for all who belong to Christ. For all those who've got an interest in Christ also have an interest in what we call the Great Commission, of going out, of making disciples in the earth. Each and every single one of you who considers yourself a Christian is also an evangelist. All of you are seed sowers. You are all seed sowers and therefore this parable speaks directly to you today as well. Seed sowing, I think, is the most honourable task that we undertake as a Christian. It doesn't look that way very often. To the undiscerning eye, preaching the gospel, sharing Christ, however you want to to use words to describe it, it's unattractive. The seed we're sowing, which is the word of God to the world, looks feeble, it looks small, it doesn't look effective. Often the elements are against us as we're trying to sow the seed. We've got the dry, cracked soil of unbelief. If you've ever been up into Wolverhampton City Centre and begun to preach, you'll become very aware of some of the hostile elements that face you. And we can very easily become discouraged. There are also plenty of voices of discouragement. And those voices come both from without and within. You know, as I was leading worship up in the town just this week, I think it was in the first song I had a man come by and heckle me in Russian, which was a first. But it's not only those voices that come from outside that can be a discouragement. There are also voices inside, aren't there? You know, oh, you're bumbling over your words. You're tripping up over your sentences. Nobody understands what you're trying to say. Nobody cares. Nobody's interested. And you can find yourself discouraging yourself. You can end up feeling, this work isn't very noble, is it? I'd far rather be one of those cool worship leaders in your skinny jeans and a beanie hat than somebody who has to go out on the street with tracts in the day or somebody who has to tell others about Christ. You know, oh gosh, far be it from me. I'd much prefer uh, to, to stay in the background and to uh, withdraw from this, uh, this particular uh, situation. But in the eyes of the Lord, sharing the gospel, sowing seed, is the most noble task that any Christian can actually take part in. It's to stand with Jesus. It's to stand with him in the face of opposition. It's to share, to be honest, it's to share in his reproach. It's to share in his sufferings. Hard as that may be, we're standing with the Lord. It's a noble and worthy task, and that's what I want to talk about today. I want to encourage us as a church to be a seed-sowing church. I think Bucky's right. I do sense that the Holy Spirit might just be speaking to us on this as a congregation. This scripture says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. 
It's a farming analogy. Not many of us really understand that these days, do we? Now, I used to preach down in Hereford. In Herefordshire, how many of you have ever been to Herefordshire? It's a very rural county. I think, I've, in fact, it's the most rural, rural uh, English county. And down there, many people are hands-on farmers. They understand the way that the earth brings forth seed. They understand how God made the earth to bear fruit. But we have to learn, I think, afresh if we're, from the, if we're townies, as they call us. Now, Becca and I, my wife, to be honest, in the evenings, we mostly spend our time being in the same room as one another, but watching different screens. Um, I don't know how many of other married couples in this room experience that, but, but we just can't very often find stuff that we both like to watch together. I'm not going to tell you what she watches, uh, because you'll, you don't need to know. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, we rarely find things that we enjoy together. But we did chance upon something the other week uh, that we, we both liked. And um, don't heckle me, but it was Clarkson's Farm. It was Clarkson Farm. Jeremy Clarkson starting out making a farm. Um, and if you don't know him, he's from Top Gear fame. And to be honest, it was brilliant. It was hilarious. And farming turned out to be much harder than he'd anticipated, but also much more enjoyable than he'd anticipated. But in the first few episodes, this is the point I'm trying to make. I don't want to go off on a tangent talking about Clarkson's farm, though it is funny and I would recommend it. Um, but there's a rush in the first episode or two for Clarkson to get on with sowing his seed. They, he's got a few advisors, and they are pressing upon him the urgency of getting his seed in the ground. He's just spent a lot of money on it. It's sat in his barn, and they're saying, listen, it's no good there. Get it out and sow it into the earth. Otherwise, your harvest will be very seriously affected. Now, without Clarkson sowing the barley and sowing the wheat seed, the only thing that his fields would ever grow would be weeds. He wouldn't get a crop. And at the same time, that's also true of human hearts. I want you to see this. It's amazing how God sometimes hides deep biblical truths in nature for us to find. Naturally speaking, without the seed of the gospel being sown, all the human heart will ever produce will be weeds. No crop, nothing worth harvesting. The human heart devoid of the grace of God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will only ever sin. Even the good works that they do are good works that are covered in sin. Romans 3 tells us the truth of this, doesn't it? It says there's no one good, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And I don't know about you, but I... When I moved into my house, our garden was derelict. It, it hadn't been touched for many years. And my wife and I found out, after about three or four years of doing nothing, that the garden wasn't going to suddenly just magically burst into bloom. I've never seen flower beds just spontaneously erupt out of a garden. I've never seen fields just suddenly pop up with wheat when it wasn't sown and the same is true of the human heart the task of sowing 
the gospel, sowing the seed of the gospel then, you can see how urgent this is. Just as in the same way that Clarkson was not going to be able to reap any crops at all unless he sowed his seed, no one is going to get saved unless they hear the gospel. Unless we are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's only one destination for sinful mankind, and that is that they will perish. And this is the sobering truth. Nobody on judgment day is going to get a free pass because they were nice. No one. Romans 1 says that they will be without apology. And that's the Greek word apologia, without a reason. They won't be able to say, well, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't much like that message that I heard preached on the streets, but I did lots of good stuff. You know, I gave lots to charity. No. All have fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one good but God. This is a very sobering reality that we face. And so if we want to see people coming to Christ, if we want to see people glorifying God in our city, then there is but one way to go about it, and that's to preach the gospel. That's to scatter seed. That part is our responsibility to do. Furthermore, we're to scatter our seed on the ground. That's what the scripture says. Scatter the seed on the ground. Unless the seed is in the ground, it won't germinate. It remains a seed. The gospel, or the seed of the gospel, is no good to anyone sat in my pockets or kept within my heart. It has to be scattered. And we are the ones who have to do that, this scripture says. The seed of the gospel is to be sown in the ground, out in the fields, liberally scattered, not planted in plugs in the greenhouse. What on earth do I mean by this? We're getting caught up in a little uh, metaphor here. What do I mean? Well, simply this, that the scattering of the seed is done out there. It's done out there. It's in the world. It's in the open. It's not done in secret or only in a church setting. I want you to catch that. The seed sowing is done out there, in the world, in public, where people can see. Perhaps you might choose to scatter your seed by joining the outreach team on Thursdays. You, you might want to hand out tracts or pray for people, or speak to people. Maybe that's not your cup of tea. Perhaps you would choose to scatter the seed by taking an opportune moment to speak to a friend or a neighbor uh, maybe invite them to church one Sunday. In fact, we've made some little invite cards for people to do just that, which are very pretty and inoffensive. Perhaps you'll scatter the seed by joining the kids' work team and sharing the gospel with our children. That too is scattering seed. There are many, many ways to do that, but the point being is that there's no private and painless an inactive way to sow seed. Just as Clarkson couldn't sow seed in his fields from the comfort of his own bed, so we can't sow the seed of the gospel without actually going out somehow or someplace. Right? There has to be an, a movement. There has to be some activity from us. So that is our job in sharing the gospel. Scattering the seed. And sowing it liberally. Sowing it liberally. You know, I used to think when I was uh, younger, 
I used to think, right, I'd look for people who I felt were perhaps more Christian than others. I looked for the people with good morals, maybe the person who looked like they might be susceptible somehow to, to Christianity. But that isn't what Jesus did. Jesus scattered his seed liberally. He threw it on the places where it looked the hardest, and he still expected to see some growth. And so that's the same as what we want to do when we share the gospel. We share it with whosoever comes by us or whosoever we may meet. So the sowing of the seed is our job. That's what we do. That's our responsibility. But this parable also talks about the other half of evangelism. The other half of evangelism, which is not our job to do. Verse 27 says that while the seed sower sleeps, his seed is growing. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means this, that in evangelism, our job is to share the good news, to share Jesus Christ, and that's it. That's it. Share Christ. Share the gospel. And at this point, once that is done, we can be satisfied. We can rest our heads. We can be confident that then it's over to God that He will act upon the seed that we have sown. We needn't fret thinking that we've got to do something more to bring about salvation in this person, trying to manufacture growth for ourselves. The Bible says that this growth, this new birth, is something that only God can bring about. It isn't something that's brought about by human means. You've read John 3.3, you must be born again. This is more than just an intellectual decision to say, I believe in Jesus. This is something supernatural. This is a heart of stone being replaced by a heart of flesh. It's something that only God can do. Now, we are to expect results in evangelism, yes. We ought to have faith that God can cause His seed to grow. Even if we share the gospel kind of feebly and we stutter and stumble over our words, even if we don't feel we fully presented it, God can still use that seed and cause it to grow. Though we shouldn't expect to always see that seed grow instantaneously. That's another mistake that people make. The farmer, you see, when he's sowing his seed in the field, he doesn't fret and worry when he doesn't see his fields instantaneously transformed into verdant veils of greenery. He doesn't freak out because he knows there's a process that needs to take place. He sows his seeds and he goes back to the house And he rests. He keeps watering them. He keeps about his business. But he recognizes what happens under the soil is beyond him. He must let the soil and the seed do their work. And neither should we fret when we don't see people instantaneously respond with faith. Sometimes they will. But very often they won't. And we're not to fret about that. The seed has been sown. Rest. Pray. And leave the growth to God. Leave it to God. Trust God that the seed he's put in your hand is the right stuff. And that he's able to work on it. And that he will. I believe as a church we are going to see a harvest. We will see people come to Christ. We will see people at it. But let's not get into this works mentality that we can somehow do that. And sadly many ministers do fall into that trap. I think it's become almost cultural, the error of this thing of trying to make people Christians has become endemic in the church. 
You see, ministers, when they don't see instantaneous results and spectacular results, what they can very often do is they can begin to try and manufacture the growth themselves. What they'll do is simply this. They'll, they'll change the seed slightly. This seed doesn't seem to be doing very much for me. So I'm going to hype the message up a little bit. I'm going to hype it. I'm going to make it more attractive to the people I'm seeing. Maybe I'll make it a message of blessing and prosperity. You know, come to me, all you who want to be healed, set free, and made rich. Well, that sounds more exciting. I'm seeing more happy faces when I preach this message. Maybe I'll leave out the stuff about hell and judgment, all that other icky stuff that the Bible talks about. We don't need to talk about that. Let's just talk about love. They switch the seed up. Switch and bait, okay? Now, what's happening there is what we call pragmatism. It's not the gospel, it's pragmatism. It's thinking whatever gets the results is the right thing to do. The ends justify the means. So what you'll see is people in churches, you'll see this happen a lot. You'll see the evangelist whipping people up into an emotional frenzy, you know, whipping them up into an emotional frenzy. You've got the band on stage playing away. You've got the evangelist hollering, uh, offering an altar call in the midst of all this fiery emotion. And suddenly you've got loads of people running down to the front and the evangelist will get them all to parrot to prayer one after the other. And hey, presto. You've got a harvest of souls for Jesus. And immediately before you know it, before you can blink, the evangelist is up on his social media. 20 new souls saved today in my meeting. I've seen it happen. But how many of those individuals truly knew what they were choosing? How many of them, do you think? How many of them ran to the altar just because everybody else did? I've seen it. I've had school friends who would run with me down the altar as 16-year-olds at these big crusade meetings, make decisions, professions of faith, seem to be very emotional. The next day, nothing. Gone. It was just in the heat of the moment. I'm not saying that no one comes to true faith this way. Some do. God can use those means. But what I am saying is that really, that method of evangelism is nothing more than pragmatism. It's nothing more than men trying to do God's job for him and making a real hash of it. And all we end up with is lots of disappointed, confused people. I thought if I became a Christian, I'd get rich. I'm still on benefits. What happened? I thought if I became a Christian, I'd be healed. I'd never have another physical problem. I'm still ill. What happened? And the pastor's left shepherding goats and not sheep. It's a travesty. Let's trust God to do his part and we stick to faithfully sowing the gospel, not trying to add to it, not trying to force God's work. Because the scripture here says in verse 28 that the earth produces for itself, first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain. We see that once the seed has germinated, that is that it's sprouted, it grows in stages, doesn't it? We've got first the grass, the blade, then the ear, and then finally the grain. It doesn't just spring up out of the earth all at once. 
And this is a beautiful and pure description of what is known as the doctrine of sanctification. The doctrine of sanctification. This is what we're talking about here. This doctrine simply states that the life of a Christian is a gradual and continuous life of growth. When you become a Christian, you begin to grow. The Holy Spirit enters in, and through His power and guidance, we grow incrementally, that means bit by bit, to be more like Jesus. We grow in holiness. We grow in the knowledge of the truth. We grow in faith, in good works, in prayer. Each Christian is sanctified in this way, and no one Christian pops up from the ground fully formed. Hallelujah. There are no perfect Christians in this room. None of you has nailed it perfectly yet. Hallelujah. Including me. And any Christian that thinks they have is a charlatan and a liar. Each Christian is on a journey of growth. Each Christian grows in these things, albeit at a slightly different pace. And that's okay. We all want to be encouraging one another in that growth process, not measuring ourselves against other Christians and thinking, oh, I'm doing a better job than them. Each of us grows incrementally at a different pace. One Christian can be more or less sanctified than another. However, you cannot be more or less saved than another. That is the difference between the doctrine of sanctification, which is this journey of growth into holiness, and the doctrine of justification, which is the doctrine by which we are made right before God. Over here in sanctification, yes, there is a process. We're growing and there can be difference between Christians. I don't know if you've seen that. When you're a baby Christian, Sometimes there's still a hangover from the world. There's patterns of habits, aren't there? Sometimes when somebody's, a, well, when you're, when I was first a Christian, you'd still see bits of the world, wouldn't you? The odd drop swear word now and again, some really kind of fluffy doctrine going on, uh, not really being able to articulate what I'd fully believed, but I, I loved Jesus. There was a faith there, but there was still a lot of the world. I was on a journey of sanctification, but I was absolutely as saved as the pastor who led me to the Lord. That's the difference between justification and sanctification. The more mature Christian is further along that journey of sanctification than the newborn Christian. And that's why it's important for us in this church to do things like these home groups, like the midweek group when we come together. Because we want to be looking for Christians around us who are both further along that journey than us, so that they can encourage us and we can rely upon them to speak into our lives. And also looking for people who may be just starting out as Christians and we can come alongside them and, and give them encouragement as they step out. Because we have to rejoice, don't we, when we see that tiny blade of grass poking above the soil, just as the farmer would when he sees his seeds begin to germinate. We rejoice when that person first makes that profession of faith. They first pray the prayer, let's say. We don't reject them because maybe their language isn't perfect or because their doctrine's a bit squiffy. We don't say, well, you're away with you. You're not a Christian. 
do we? There's grace for that because they're starting out that journey. We meet them where we're at. We nurture one another with prayer and we encourage one another to come along to church, to find fellowship. We help each other study the scriptures so that we can further one another in that journey. And as we do these things, God brings about the growth. And then we read finally here that when that growth is complete, when all the growth in all the church throughout all the ages is finally brought to culmination, something happens. When the grape is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Brothers and sisters, we know that when the growth is finally complete, there will be a harvest. We know that the reaper will come to carry his harvest off to the place where he has prepared paradise for them. Revelation 14, verses 14 and 15 says this, Then I looked and behold a white cloud, and seated on the cloud one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. Matthew 3 verse 12 says, His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. When I read the New Testament, I find over and over again in the writings of the apostles, this message that I just can't get away from. All of the apostles seem to cry out together in unison, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Be ready. They cry out with one voice on this issue, and yet it's the one issue that I find pastors not preaching on today. Jesus is coming back. Soon, all of the good fruit in your life, right now, your love, your peace, your holiness, your prayer life, all of it is being prepared for the King. All of it has purpose. All of it is to give glory to God. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? That the Lord is preparing beautiful things in you for His own pleasure. It's being prepared for him on that day. And this small church community is just a tiny part of Jesus' global crop. We're all being readied for his return. And once that day comes, brothers and sisters, I want you to know that there will be no more sowing of seed. The sowing of seed is the most noble ministry that anybody can have this side of glory, but that time will come to an end. There will be a time when you will no longer be able to sow seed. Nobody will need to hear the gospel because they will see Christ. They will see him enthroned. They will see him coming on the clouds to judge the living and the dead. They won't need anybody to tell them that Jesus is king. They will see that Jesus is is king. So as seed sowers, let's be diligent while we still have time. Let's keep sowing that seed as that day approaches. 
let's continue to pray that the Lord might give us seed growing into a crop, that we might see fruit for our labors in the city of Wolverhampton. And brothers and sisters, let's not be discouraged. Let's not feel inadequate. How many of you sometimes feel inadequate? I know that I do. I know that I struggle with discouragement. But let's not be discouraged. Let's not feel inadequate. Though the seed that we've got in our hand looks maybe small and insignificant to the world, it is able by God's grace to produce a mighty harvest, even through you, even through me. Hallelujah. I want to tell you that when God's people went down into Egypt with Jacob, do you know how many of them there were? Seventy-five. Seventy-five of God's people heading down into Egypt. A tiny, vulnerable remnant, seemingly at the mercy of the world. But just a few hundreds years later, they went out, didn't they? Numbering in the millions. Just over a thousand years later, there were 120 people, men and women, gathered in an upper room in Jerusalem, praying. Most of those men and women, they weren't significant people. They weren't world leaders. They weren't influential. They were unlettered. They weren't rich in any worldly sense. But yet, that there in that room was the seed of the church. Just 120 people. Now here today, in the year of our Lord, 2021, there are something like 2.5 billion people that are now part of that movement that started all those years ago. This mustard seed of the gospel that you have in your heart, which we must sow into the world, though it doesn't look much to us, though it doesn't always look much to the world, God has always used it. God will always use it to bring about His purposes in the earth. And He will use you to do His purposes in the earth. God has always used the few, hasn't he, rather than the multitude. He's always used the weak above the strong. How many of you are weak here today? I know that I am weak. God has always used the weak above the strong. He has always blessed his word to achieve its purposes. And it won't return to him void. When we scatter his seed, brothers and sisters, we can have confidence that he is going to bring a mighty harvest through. Let's stand and pray. I'd just like you actually just to to do something as we begin to pray. I just would like you to... um, if you, if you today would just like to have more encouragement as a seed sower, you'd like to have some more courage, some more confidence, just raise your hand right now. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for these people who recognize that they need more confidence. They need more encouragement in sharing the gospel, in sowing seed. And we pray today, Holy Spirit, Would you just come, the great encourager of the brothers and sisters of Christ, and would you just bring courage right now, even as we pray.
would you let us become bold preachers of the gospel? Whether that preaching looks like standing up in a city center and proclaiming the word of God, or whether it looks like simply speaking to a neighbor and inviting them to Alpha or inviting them along to church, Lord, we pray that you might encourage us today. You might fill us with a boldness to become seed sowers of the gospel in this nation. And through us, we might see your kingdom come in Wolverhampton and we might see history changed for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Praise God.